Thank you so much. What a blessing. Wonderful. How many of you brought your Bible with you this morning? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building this morning? It is 11, it is 11.06, and if you'll listen real fast, I'll preach fast, and we'll try to get through about 11.30 this morning, all right? Uh, I want you to take your Bible and open to the book of John this morning, chapter number 3, the Gospel of John, chapter 3. Now, I have an old Schofield Bible, and if you have one, it's page number 1,117. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, don't sweat it because we're going to put the verse up on the screen here in just a moment. But I really, I really want you to get a hold of the truth of the Word of God this morning. John chapter 3. Now, while you're finding your place there, tonight we're moving our inside service outside. So we'll be having service tonight underneath the big tent set up over here. Same place where we'll be eating at in just a little while. We're going to clear that out, turn it into a church here uh, this afternoon and meet back together under the big tent tonight and tomorrow night for two old-fashioned camp meeting services. And uh, so tonight will be at 5.30. Tomorrow night will be at 7 o'clock. And uh, I want to invite you to be back with us again in the house of God, uh, if you possibly can, for our continuation of our celebration tonight at 5.30. All right, the Gospel of John. Would you, if you're there, would you say amen? amen? All right, would you look this way, if you will? I love to read one-liners, what I call one-liners. I, I love, you know, just the one-sentence sayings. I, I have several of those written down in the front of my Bible, and I like the serious ones. For instance, one that I have written down in the front of my Bible. It's a great one. It goes like this. Great Sundays begin on Mondays. And that just little statement just reminds me, hey, don't wait till Saturday night to start praying for Sunday. Go ahead and start praying on Sunday morning or, or Monday morning and get ready Monday morning for Sunday. That's a great little one-liner. Here's a good one, a good one to live by. It goes something like this. Never let what you do know, uh, never let what you don't know be upset. Never let what you do know be upset by what you don't know. How many of us have many times encountered a lot of things in this walk of life that we don't know why it happened? But let's fall back on what we do know. Here's another good one. Listen to this. The two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. Boy, that's deep, isn't it? What about this one? It's not the years of your life that counts. It's the life in your years that counts. And then I have some funny ones written down. Here's one. I didn't attend his funeral, but I sent a nice letter saying I approved of it. That's a good one. Listen to this one. The early, the early bird may get the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. The evening news is where they begin with the, with, the, with the phrase, good evening, and then they proceed to tell you why it's not good. And then here's one of my favorite ones. I don't go crazy. I am crazy. I just go normal from time to time. How many of y'all are with me on that one? And then what about this one? If you think nobody cares about you, try missing a couple of payments. Those are some great one-line statements. But uh, let's narrow, narrow our focus down for just a minute. What is the greatest one-liner that Jesus ever spoke? You know, Jesus, while he was here on earth, had some great one-line statements. For instance, listen to this one. Let not your heart be troubled. Hannity didn't come up with that one. The Lord Jesus come up with that one. Let not your heart be troubled. What about this one? Here's a great one-liner. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. What a great one-liner. Jesus said, if you're going to go to heaven, you're going to have to come through me. You say, preacher, you're not politically correct. I leave that up to our politicians. I'm a preacher. I don't have to be politically correct. 
Jesus said, if you're going to go to heaven, you're going to have to come through me. What a great one-line statement. What about this one? Jesus said, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? What about this one? Jesus said this, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What great one-line statement. Jesus, by far and away, started his longest sermon and most popular sermon with just one-line statements. You know, I'm talking about the sermon on the, the mount. And he started that sermon off with just some great one-liners. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall... And just one-liner after one-liner to start the greatest sermon that he ever preached. But if I were to ask you this morning, in your personal estimation, what is the greatest statement that Jesus ever made, what would you say? Well, without doubt, if anybody were to ask me, what do you feel like is the greatest statement that Jesus ever made, I would say John 3.16. Could I read it to you this morning? If you don't have a Bible, look up on the screen. Here's how it goes. Jesus said this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. By far and away, those are the most famous words that Jesus ever spoke. There's no other statement in all of the Word of God that so aptly sums up the heart of God, the mind of God, and the will of God for the human race. Never has so much been said in so few words. This statement has been called by many the sweetest flower ever planted in the soil of Holy Scripture. Someone else has said that this verse is the pinnacle, the Mount Everest of the Bible. This verse is so simple that any child can grasp it, and yet it's so profound that the scholars of all the ages will never be able to plumb the depths of the contents of this one verse. This verse is the first verse that we learn as a child and the last verse that we remember as adults. For God, the being without beginnings, so loved the world, the love without limits, that He gave His only begotten Son, the present without price, that whosoever believeth in Him, the range without restriction, should not perish but have everlasting life, the destiny without doubt. Our Bible consists of 66 books. In those 66 books, there are 1,189 chapters. In those 1,189 chapters, there are 31,179 verses. And in those verses, there are over 788,000 words in our Bible. And yet, if you condense the whole Bible down into just one statement, it would have to be these words, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Now, you do the math, but you look at that verse, and you count them, there are 25 words in John 3, 16. 25 of them. The first 12 of those words are all about God. The last 12 of those words are all about you and about me, but the middle word of John 3, 16 is the word Son. I got to thinking about that. You know, the Son of God is in the middle of all things. He is in the middle of all that God is wanting to do for the whole of humanity. You know, for the past 100 years, this church has been about helping people make their way to the sun. For over 800, uh, for over 100 years, eight pastors and countless other preachers and lay people have done their best to point people to the sun. 
That's what this service is all about this morning. We just want to get a bunch of our friends and families here, celebrate 100 years, and just point you to the Son of God. Amen. We're not pointing you to a church this morning. We're not pointing you to a preacher. We want to point you to the one and the only one who can help you this morning, the Son. You know, really, as you look, about that, look at that verse, that verse is really about three things. Really, it is. First of all, let me say that that verse right there on the screen, number one, is about a fact. It is about a fact. Now, the fact of that verse is this, for God so loved the world. It's a, it's a fact that God loved the world. Two words. Two words about that. First of all, the word loved, and then the word love, uh, world. Now, if you're going to understand that statement, for God so loved the world, you've got to understand the word love, for God so loved. You know, I couldn't help but think about how we define the love of God in a variety of ways. For instance, we see an old boy riding around in a Mercedes, and we say, boy, God sure must love him. Look at the car that he drives. Oh, we ride through a ritzy neighborhood and, and we pass this big old mansion sitting on the hill, 5,000 square feet, and we say, boy, God, sure must love them. Look at the house that they live in. Oh, we ride by and they got all kind of toys sitting out in their yard and we say, boy, God, sure must love them. Look at all of the stuff that they've got, the material position, possessions that they have. Well, ladies and gentlemen, on this special day, I'm here to remind you that God doesn't demonstrate His love for us by the kind of car that we drive. He doesn't demonstrate His love toward us in the kind of home that we may or may not live in. No, sir. God manifested, demonstrated His love toward you and toward me on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. If you want to know what God thinks about you, hey, don't look at the kind of car you're driving. Don't look at the neighborhood you live in. Hey, don't look at the toys that you may or may not have. Brother, if you want to see how much God loves you, all you got to do is look at Calvary. God was declaring His love for you and for me. Over the Bible, over the book of 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, the Bible said, In this, in the death of Jesus on Calvary, was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. You want to know how much God loves you? God sent His only Son into the world for you and for me. God, for God so loved the world. Now, what does that mean, the world? Well, we know, those of us who read the Bible, many of you know this, that there are three different worlds that are mentioned in the Bible. For instance, there is the physical world that we live in. That's the trees and the mountains and the lakes and the streams and the rivers and the oceans. The physical world. By the way, God created this physical world. Hey, this just didn't happen. There was not just some big explosion uh, sometime or another, way back yonder in, in, in the past eons. No, sir. This, this world that we're living on is a, is a divine design of a created, uh, an intelligent creator who reached down and created this world. And the Bible said that God made the world and all things therein, the physical world. Then there's the perverted world. We know that when our great, 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 great grandpa Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden disobeyed God and sinned against God. God had given Adam the authority over this world. But when Adam sinned, Adam handed the authority of this world over into the hands of the devil. 
And since from that point to this point, the devil has created a system of this world that is, that is, that is basically designed to do one thing, and that's to draw men's attention off of God and on to the things that just don't matter. Yeah, there's a perverted world. That's the right reason the Bible said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. He's not telling us not to love the trees or the rocks or the rivers or the mountains, but he's telling us, hey, don't love the system of this world. It's, it's designed to allure you, to distract you away from the Son of God. There's the physical world. There's the perverted world. But then there's the populated world. That's you and that's me. 7.7 billion of us living on this planet today. And when we read the word world in, in John 3.16, the Bible is declaring the fact that God loves you and He loves me. This statement is about a fact. God loves the people of the world. Now, if you're in the world today, I've got to tell you something. How many of y'all are in the world today? Good, four of us. Let me tell you something, friend. Listen to me. If you're in the world, God loves you. That's right. You made God's love list by just showing up in the world. That's right. You remember when we were young and you, and you and had a little old girlfriend or a little boyfriend? You remember those days? And you'd go out in the yard and you'd pick one of them wild daisies. And you'd go through it. She loves me. She loves me not. Now, I don't know about you, but I had to rig it sometimes to make it come out like I wanted it to come out. Maybe y'all ever had to rig it before. But can I tell you something when it comes to the love of God? <laughs> can I tell you something? He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. You don't have to rig it. Friend, I'm here to tell you, God in heaven loves you. There's nobody in this world that God doesn't love. Listen, God's never brought anybody into this world that he didn't love before they got here. The only thing that has to be true of you for God to love you is for you just to show up. And ladies and gentlemen, congratulations. You showed up one day, and I'm so glad that I can tell you that God created you and made you so that he could love you. You. That's right. Listen, I'm going to tell you something, friend. You don't cause God to love you. If we had a telephone this morning and could call direct to heaven and just get God on the other line and say, God, we got a question of you. Why do you love me? You know what God would say? Just because. Hey, I can't do anything to cause God to love me any more than he does. God has just declared the fact in the Bible that he loves me. Can I tell you this? God loves you. Regardless of where you were last night. Regardless of who you was with. Regardless of what you've done in your past. I'm here to declare unto you this morning a fact from the Word of God that God loves you. He don't care what you're addicted to. He don't care what you've been doing. He don't care what you've been drinking. He don't care what you've been smoking. He don't care how you've been living. I'm glad I can tell you God loves you. Yes, sir. God loved the world. It's not a national love because he loves Jew and Gentile alike. It's not a political love, hallelujah, because he loves Democrats and Republicans. Amen. And Republicans and Democrats. It's not a political love. It's not a national love. It's not a financial love because he loves the poor and the rich. It's not an intellectual love because he loves the wise and he loves the ignorant. It's not a racial love because he loves the black, the white, the red, the yellow, and any other in the race as well. It's not a physical love because God loves the beautiful and thank God he loves the ugly. 
Amen. God in heaven simply loves you. And by the way, can I tell you something about the love of God? It will never run out of gas. There will never be a time when God will look down and say, I don't love you anymore. Now, I may do something so stupid some of these days that my wife may look at me and say, I don't want to love you no more. I'm done with you. My own children may look at me someday and say, Daddy, you have so failed us and let us down. You're not our daddy anymore. We don't love you. But thank God on this 100-year celebration morning, I'm glad I can tell you, you'll never do anything that will cause God to say, I'm through with you. I don't love you anymore because of the fact of this verse. The Bible said that God so loved the world. There, this verse is about a fact. This statement is about a fact. But number two, this statement is not only about a fact. This statement is about an act. You say, what is the act? Well, God backed up the fact with an act. What do you mean? Well, look at our text. The Bible said, for God so loved the world. Then it says this that he gave his only begotten son. Hey, let me tell you something about God. God just didn't speak his love. God showed his love. You ever had anybody tell you, hey, man, I love you, but you, when you called them in a tough time, they didn't show up. Oh, they spoke it, but they didn't show it. Well, God said, hey, I'm just not going to tell you that I love you and declare that as a fact. God said, I'm not just going to speak it. I'm going to show it. I'm not just going to mention it. I'm going to manifest it. I'm not going to just declare it. I'm going to demonstrate it. So how did God demonstrate it? Our verse continues that he gave his only begotten son. Now, we know that a verb is an action word. And in our text this morning, there are four verbs mentioned in this text. The word loved, and then there's the word believe, and then the word have. But the greatest verb of this text is the word gave. God put his love into action for you by giving his son. It has been rightly said that you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You know it is the nature of fire to burn, it's the nature of light to shine, but it's the nature of love to give. And what did God give? God gave his only begotten son, the only one of his kind. Can I tell you something this morning? Salvation is absolutely free, but it's not cheap. No, sir, for God to make it possible for me and for you to be saved, God gave up His only begotten Son. God willingly let Him die in our place. Listen, let me tell you the story of Jesus in four phrases. Here they are. Jesus left His place. Jesus came to this place. Jesus died in your place. And Jesus and Jesus alone can take us to God's place. That's the story of Jesus. He left heaven, his place, came into this world, came, lowered himself, and came into this world from the adorations of heaven to the abominations of the earth, from the coronations of heaven to the condemnations of the earth, from the decoration of heaven to the devastation of the earth, from the majesties of the heaven to the miseries of the earth, from the praises of heaven to the persecutions of the earth, from the songs of heaven to the sneers of the earth, from the glory place to the glory place down down, down. He came. He left his place. And he came to this place. And he lived 33 years and never sinned one time. 
You can't say that. I can't say that. Never had a bad thought. Never had to go to his mom and his daddy and say, Mama, Mama Mary, Foster Daddy Joseph, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have backtalked. Never said a cuss word. Never had a bad thought. He left his place, came to this place, and then he died in your place. And he died in my place. Took our sins. Though he had never sinned, he took all of our sins upon himself. It's almost like this, ladies and gentlemen. It's like God, when Jesus was hanging on Calvary, took all of our sins. You remember right before he went to the cross, Jesus started talking about a cup. You remember him praying, Oh, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup. He was praying about a cup. Because when Jesus looked into that cup, he saw something that he would become that he had never become before, and that is our sin. So what literally happened is when Jesus was hanging on the cross, God took all of our sin, all those old words we should have never said, all those old things that we've done that we'd be so ashamed if somebody stood up and talked about them in public, all that weed, all that old alcohol, all that immoral living, God put it in that cup. And then where Jesus was hanging on that cross, God went over there, took that cup, dumped it all out on his son, and then God stepped back and punished his son for our sins. Friend, that's love. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life, John 15, 3, for his friends. Jesus died in our place. You say, preacher, he did that for me. He did it for everybody. You mean to tell me in spite of what I've done, Jesus loved me enough so much he died for me? That's exactly what I mean to tell you. Yes, sir. He, he left his place, came to this place, died in our place. And please hear me and hear me well. He's the only one that can take us to God's place. Are you listening? Can I tell you something? There's so much confusion today about how to get to heaven. If I were to ask you this morning, how do you leave Winston-Salem and get to heaven? Uh, somebody say, well, I want you to go up 52 north. and, and uh, no. Or somebody, no, you know what we'd say today? How do you get from Winston-Salem to heaven? You know what some people say? Well, first of all, you've got to get baptized, just like I did those two ladies this morning. You've got to get baptized. Then you've got to join the church. and Then you've got to just start trying to do the best you can do. And try to quit all your bad stuff. And Can I tell you something? All that's good and fine and wonderful. But can I tell you something? You can do all that and still be lost. Jesus is the only one that can take you to heaven. Jesus is. Yeah, I'm telling you, there's a fact in that verse. There's an act in that verse. The Bible said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But we're not done because there's a third thing in that verse. Because not only is there a fact in that statement, and not only is there an act, in that statement. But did you notice this? Number three, there's a pact in that statement. You say, preacher, what's the pact? Well, it goes on to say this, that whosoever believeth in him, that whosoever believeth, uh, uh, the Bible said, whosoever believeth in, in him, speaking of Jesus, should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's almost like this. When you come and receive Jesus as God's son, God said, hey, let's enter into a pact together. Let's enter into an agreement. And here's God's agreement. You receive my son, 
I got a gift for you. And my gift for you is eternal life. And you'll never perish. I couldn't help but notice on the news last night. Did you see on the news last night where that airplane took off over in Hawaii and had 11, 12 people on board? And then for some reason, the thing just went up and just came down and crashed. And 11, 12 people. And, and the newspaper, the news reporter said, all on board perished. Hadn't heard that word on the news in a while. All on board That means they're no more. They all burn up. They're gone. Can I tell you something? God said, hey, if you'll come to me, if you'll receive my son Jesus as your Savior, I'm going to make a pact with you. And you're never going to have to perish. But you're going to live forever and forever and forever. I've got a gift for you, and the gift is called eternal life. In just a moment, we've got a gift. Everybody wants to stay and eat some lunch today. We've got a gift for you. We ordered 2,000 of these cups this morning and or sometime recently. And everybody that stays and gets something to eat, we're going to give you a cup as a present of this day. Thank you for coming. You say, what'd you get? Well, I got a cup. We got a cup for you. And we want you to have this. You say, preacher, here, let me pay you for that thing. No, no, if you pay that, if you try to pay me for it, 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 it's not a gift anymore. No, it's free. We want you to have it. Reach out and take it. It's yours. Can I tell you something? God's got a gift for you this morning. And excuse me, it's not a cup. But it's the gift of eternal, everlasting life. And God wants you to have it. But the only way you can have it is to receive His Son, Jesus Christ, as your Savior. John 3.16, about a pact. Listen to this, and I'm done. You know, there's a difference between eternal life and eternal existence. Let me say that one more time. There is, an, there is a difference between eternal life, what you get when you receive Jesus, and eternal existence. Because everybody in this room has eternal existence. Now that you are, there will never be a time when you will not be. You are an eternal being. And eternally, you're going to exist forever. But the difference is when you receive Jesus, thank God you don't have to perish and die and go to hell. But you get the gift of eternal life and one day assures you the fact that you're going to live in heaven forever with God in a world without end. Isn't that amazing? Somebody said, oh, preacher, I knew I was coming to a Baptist church this morning. I knew somewhere along the way that it's going to bring up the subject of hell. Well, can I tell you something? I do believe in a place called hell. But you really know what amazes me? Not the fact that there is a hell. That really don't amaze me. You know why? I watch the same news you watch. <laughs> I, I, I see about the child, little children that get molested and the, the, the people that get raped and robbed and murdered. The, the, I, I, I get all, I get, I know. I mean, I don't, I don't struggle with the fact there's a hell. You know why? I see the world we're living in. You know why I believe in hell? Because I can go to the bathroom, flip the light on, stand there in the mirror, look at me with all my faults and failures. Oh, no, I don't, I don't struggle with hell. You know what I struggle with? That there's a heaven. <laughs> that God created the most perfect place that's ever been created and then has the audacity to say to you and me, hey, I want you to come up here and live with me. I want you to live in my presence forever and ever and ever. And here's your invitation to come. Receive my son. You live with me forever. That amazes God wants somebody like me 
to live with him forever. But I got good news for you. God don't only want somebody like me to live with him. God wants you to live with him forever. But the only way to get there is by receiving his son, the middle word. The son has everlasting life. I'm done. I say that. Really, I like to close a lot during services. I usually wind up closing 15, 20 times a message. My favorite part of the message is in closing. But I read just the other week this story. Let me share it with you. We're done. There's this little boy who lived in the city of Chicago. And he, and he didn't have a mama. He didn't have a daddy. And he sold newspapers to make enough money, scratched together enough food to try to take care of himself. Well, Chicago is a very cold place, and it was on one of these cold, very blustery days. And he lived in a cardboard box under some steps, trying to sell what meager newspapers he could to survive. And on this very cold, windy day, calling for a heavy snow, he found a police officer standing on the corner of the street, and he said, Sir, I'm homeless. I need a place to spend the night. Can you, uh, can you tell me, is there anywhere I can get in out of the cold? And the officer said, Son do this. Go down two streets, turn left, go to the in-house on the right, big white house. Go up and knock on the door. And when somebody comes to the door, tell them John 3.16. He said, that works. Try it. So he goes down, walks up there, finds a house. Lady comes to the door and he says, ma'am, I am cold. Can I have a place to say John 3.16? Oh, she took him by the arm and brought him in to this great big living room with the most fine furniture he'd ever seen in his life. And he stood there and he was just looking at all of the garnishings and furniture of that house. And he said, you know something? I don't know much about that John 3.16, but it sure will get a homeless boy in a mansion. He stood there for just a minute and she came back in the room and she said, Honey, are you cold? He said, Man, I'm about to freeze to death. She took him in there and put him in front of the fireplace and wrapped a blanket around a big roaring fire and she walked off and he said, I don't know about that John 3.16, but it sure will make a cold boy warm. She came back in in just a few minutes, and she said, Honey, are you hungry? He said, Ma'am, I'm about to starve to death. She took him in and set him in the kitchen in this long table with all kind of prepared food on it. He sat down, just started eating. He thought to himself, I don't know about that, much about that John 3.16, but it sure will fill you when you're hungry. She came back in the room in just a little while and she said, have you had a bath recently? And he said, no, ma'am. She took him up, drew him a hot bath, handed him some towels and some soap. He crawled in that tub, was bathing himself, having the time. He said, I don't know much about that John 3.16, but it sure will make a dirty boy clean. And finally she came and brought him some pajamas and she said, honey, do you need a place to sleep? And he said, yes, ma'am. And she took him into this bedroom and laid him in a feather bed and it just swole up all around him. And right before he dozed off to sleep, he said, I don't know much about that John 3.16, but it sure will give rest to a tired boy. Can I tell you something this morning? Jesus Christ will sure get a homeless person inside of a mansion. And Jesus Christ will sure make a hungry person full. And Jesus Christ can sure make a cold person warm. And Jesus Christ can sure make a dirty person clean. And Jesus Christ can still make a tired person rest. What you need this morning.
is you need Jesus. Could I help you this morning find your way to Jesus? This service, you know, I told our church, and we're done, I told our church, I said, this church, this service is about history. And this service is about homecoming. But more than anything, this service is about the harvest. You're not here by accident. Somebody cared enough and loved you enough to reach out to you and say, hey, would you be my friend? I told everybody, the people I invite, I said, I ain't got a friend in the world. I said, I have to tie a pork chop around my neck to even get our dog to play. Nobody likes me. Would you please come, ask them, some of them are sitting here this morning, would you please come to church on June the 23rd and be my friend? And they had mercy and showed up. Somebody loved you enough to invite you to church today because they loved you, they cared about you. And my job, our desire, is to introduce you to Jesus today. I want you to bow your head with me. Every head bowed.